friends, I'm Tierney. And I'm Shelby. And we're Dead Dead Drunk. Drunk. Obviously, we're a show based on crime and alcohol, right? Well, today I've got a story for you that perfectly captures both of those things. In 1920, Prohibition began in the United States and bootleggers started popping up all over the place. No matter what you think, the United States drank just as much as England and they weren't about to go sober cold turkey. Bootlegging was such a lucrative business that it convinced one law-abiding man to change his entire career path to keep the bourbon flowing in Chicago and Ohio. That man was George Remus. That got me hype. <laughs> right? As soon as I heard about this guy, I was hyped on him. I really love him. This guy sounds like a superhero, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> he's he's the hero of the bourbon world, for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, did, I was inspired to do this one after watching the oversimplified video on Prohibition on YouTube. Again, uh-huh. we don't have any sponsorship partner deal, but highly recommend. But, yeah. Used it as a source. <laughs> love it. Our latest obsession, John and I, is history YouTube. We just watch it all the time. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Should we get to the drink? Yes, please. This week's drink is named for the man himself, the George Remus Gold Rush. Ooh. I know, right? So what you're going to do is combine two ounces of George Remus bourbon, which is available in some places, although sadly I plugged in my zip code and it's not available around me. So I'm using Beacon Bourbon and you can use whatever bourbon is available to you. Usually I have uh, Taconic yeah. in my cabinet. <laughs> That's what, oh, I think I actually ran out of Beacon Bourbon, but that's fine. We'll get some more. Add your bourbon. An ounce of lemon juice, half an ounce of honey, and some lemon zest in a mixing glass. Stir it all up until it's combined, and then pour it into a cocktail glass or a mason jar, maybe? Maybe a dead drunk mason jar? Garnish it with a lemon twist and enjoy. Alternatively, since it's pretty cold out, you can make Remus's Gold Rush as a hot toddy by combining the bourbon, honey, and lemon juice in a mug and topping it all off with some hot water. You can Then you stir until the honey is dissolved. And then you garnish with a lemon spiral or some cinnamon sticks if you're feeling spicy. I love that. I know. It sounds really, really good. Admittedly, I'm not drinking it right now because it's 1 p.m. But (laughs) (laughs) I would be concerned if you were. It's a Thursday. (laughs) (laughs) It's a Thursday at 1 (laughs) p.m. But... If you want to, that's fine because time means nothing anymore, right? So (laughs) now that you've got your bourbon, are you ready for the case? Drink up, dead drunkies. (laughs) Wow. It feels good to be back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Did you miss that? I did. (laughs) I did. (laughs) George Remus was born in Landsberg, Germany in 1878 to Frank and Marie Remus. When he was about four, the family moved to the United States. They briefly lived in Maryland and then Wisconsin before finally settling down in Chicago in 1885. This is um, a side note. Mm-hmm. But if I were Marie Remus, you best bet 
I would go buy Marimas. <laughs> <laughs> that's the most amazing nickname. I like. Hope I hope she that's her Instagram Marimus. handle. <laughs> Marimus. In 1885, Marimus. <laughs> uh, sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. That was the perfect side note. <laughs> at the age of 14, Remus took a job at his uncle's pharmacy since his father was unable to work for reasons that I didn't care enough to go into. And he had to support the family. <laughs> this started him on a career path that led to him graduating from the Chicago College of Pharmacy at the age of 19. Remus then earned his certification as a pharmacist and bought the business from his uncle at age 21. So he's already done more than most of us at age 21. Seriously. <laughs> but you had to act quick back in those days because you never knew when when, when death was going to be coming for you. <laughs> Over the next five years, Remus then expanded the business by purchasing another drugstore. And despite this success, Remus tired of his work as a pharmacist pretty quickly and by age 24 he had changed his whole career path he decided to become a lawyer so he attended the illinois college of law and in 1904 he was admitted to the illinois bar he decided to specialize in criminal defense focusing on his favorite and ours murder cases remus actually became quite famous for his work as a lawyer mostly due to his role in the highly publicized william cheney ellis murder case in 1914 now, I didn't go into the case, but it's an important case for Remus specifically because it's when he first introduced the transitory insanity defense, which would later evolve into what we know now as the temporary insanity defense. Huh. Okay. <laughs> this momentous defense boosted his career to such new heights that by 1920, Remus was earning $500,000 a year, which today totals up to about $6,381,000 a year. Oh, my God. I was going to say I would like to make $500,000 a year, like, just that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I know. Re Remus was rolling in it. He's, yeah. he's rolling Does in the Does he dough. have any sons? <laughs> <laughs> oh, just no. Just kidding, Adam. I love you. <laughs> No, but also they would be like great, 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 great grandson. <laughs> oh, yeah, true, true, true. In the early 1900s, arguments for prohibition were already beginning to grow throughout the United States. States even began settling their own regulations. And by 1909, two thirds of Chicago's precincts had banned the sale of alcohol. Remus defended many of the arrested bootleggers, but he couldn't help but notice how those clients were becoming very wealthy very quickly. So he started looking into how he could take advantage of this very lucrative opportunity. He sounds like a smart man. Oh, yeah. He's got big brain for sure. Yeah. <laughs> big brain energy. <laughs> On January 17th, 1920, the 18th Amendment was ratified and the Volstead Act passed, starting the period of prohibition in America. Womp womp. But Remus knew the law pretty well. So... He studied the Volstead Act looking for any loopholes that he could exploit. And he found his first one in Title II, Section 3, which reads, quote, that nothing in this act shall prohibit the purchase and sale of warehouse receipts covering distilled spirits on deposit in government-bonded warehouses. Which means that all of the whiskey and bourbon still sitting around in warehouses, that could still be sold. Huh. So Remus could still buy all of that. But he still needed a way to distribute it 
after he got all the whiskey. And then he found his second loophole. In Title II, Section 6, it explains that no one is permitted to make, sell, purchase, or transport liquor unless it's for medicinal purposes. Oh, my God. (laughs) Dr. Remus, cure me. (laughs) Yeah, so basically, this is the plan. He bought his he bought drug companies and he bought transport companies and he would use the drug companies to purchase the whiskey and bourbon legally. Then using his own transport company, he'd pick it up. And then somewhere along the way, his own men would hijack the the barrels from the transport company, meaning it was stolen and then he would sell it illegally. Wow. I know. <laughs> This super, is an super elaborate ruse. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really really genius. I <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it it's all for the good of getting people drunk. So <laughs> exactly, like prohibition should not have been a thing in the first place. I think I'm convinced that all like the twenties are just bad. Like what happened in 1820? <laughs> Did anything bad happen in 1820? I mean, probably the 1800s sound like a shit show of a and of like, an era. <laughs> We know that 2020 was not fantastic. <laughs> what? I loved it. It wasn't. <laughs> so, after federal agents raided his warehouse in Chicago, Remus moved to Cincinnati, where 80% of America's whiskey manufacturers were located within a 300-mile radius, and he purchased most of them. Over the next two years, he bought and sold about a seventh of the bonded liquor in America. In less than three years, with the help of his trusted number two, George Connors, Remus made $40 million and had around 3,000 people working for him. Oh, my God. Three years. Three years. (laughs) He ended up owning many of America's famous distilleries and began expanding his reach beyond the local Cincinnati community. Many small towns like Newport, Kentucky were turning into drinking towns where gamblers would open small casinos and entertain drunken patrons. This prohibition was essentially an era where a law was passed and nobody paid attention to that law. (laughs) Oh, my God. Side note. Um, Mm -hmm. 1820 was when cholera happened. Okay. So, yeah. So not great. Another (laughs) pandemic. It killed 100,000 people. (laughs) And in seven, you know, seventeen twenty was the plague. Nineteen twenty <laughs> was also the Spanish flu, and now twenty twenty is the coronavirus. It's the twenties. Oh, you might be onto something. That's some like crazy conspiracy yeah, theory where like, like a, every that's a QAnon <laughs> theory for you. <laughs> <laughs> So despite basically nobody following this law, there were still federal prohibition agents. So it was still kind of dangerous to be a bootlegger. But just to emphasize this, bootleggers were like national heroes to the American public. But anyway, still, Remus was playing a dangerous game. And he didn't like, he didn't take that threat lightly. He fortified a few of his distilleries, one of which was known as the Death Valley Farm. This distillery was located in Westwood, Cincinnati, and most of the outside world thought it was only accessible via dirt road. In reality, it was located at 2656 Queen City Avenue. 
So <laughs> alcohol was distilled in the attic and then lowered to the ground floors using a dumbwaiter. There was a trap door located in the basement that led to a tunnel, which was about 50 to 100 feet long and six feet under the ground. Remus's men would push the products along the tunnel to a car waiting at the other end and usually make it out safely. On October 23rd, 1921, federal prohibition agents from Chicago and Indianapolis raided the Death Valley farm, arresting Remus and many others in a circle. James Flora, Cincinnati's chief prohibition agent, reluctantly participated. Why was he reluctant, you ask? Because he was on the Remus payroll. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Remus didn't get charged in that particular arrest, as far as I know. So, at this point, Remus is now the king of bootleggers. But he's also the life of the freaking party, you guys. He hosted many lavish parties at his family mansion, which was nicknamed the Marble Palace. In 1922, Remus and his second wife, Imogene, I think that's how you say that, Uh. hosted a New Year's Eve party with 100 couples from the most prestigious families in the area in attendance. As parting gifts, Remus gifted all the men with diamond tie pins and gave each man's wife a brand new car. Oh, who is this, Oprah? <laughs> you get yeah. a car Wait. and you get a car. But that's not even the only time he gave away cars. Oh, my God. In June, He's David Dobrik in, of <laughs> the 1920s. In June 1923, he hosted a, si- a similar party. And despite having problems with the government at that point in his life, he still gave every one of the 50 female guests in attendance a brand new car. That's insane. I want to go to that party. (laughs) Where was my invite, Remus? (laughs) Probably got lost in the 1920s somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) With his first wife, Remus fathered a daughter named Romola Remus, (laughs) which is one of my favorite names because it just made me think like okay so they knew their last name was remus so maybe they just went with romulus as a sort of like (laughs) (laughs) variation of romulus for her first name she actually became a child actress in silent films in 1908 she was the first actress to portray dorothy gale in the short film the wizard of oz when she was eight years old it's just a bootlegger's daughter is dorothy and wizard of oz that's my dream (laughs) That's like the most 1920s thing I've ever heard. Uh, In 1920, his first marriage ended in divorce after he had an affair with his legal secretary, Augusta Imogene Holmes. Imogene, who would be with Remus throughout his run as a bootlegging emperor, had a young daughter from a previous marriage as well. Her name is Ruth. So meaning that with their marriage in June of 1920, like he, he divorced and then they basically immediately married, he gained kind of another daughter. So, only daughters for Remus. (laughs) It wasn't an issue, though, because he kind of served as the father figure for the local children in the area. He even let some of them come and play in his, on his grounds and in his marble mansion. He sounds like a great guy. He's giving away cars. He's taking care of children. I know. (laughs) serving alcohol. (laughs) I know. That's what I'm saying. I think a lot of these, like, big criminal guys are just... I mean, some of them aren't so bad. They're just like, hey, this is a mm-hmm. cool way to make money. And then they use their money to give tons of people new shit. Like, that's... Yeah. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Of course, all empires must fall. So, Remus's bootlegging empire began 
its decline on April 15th of 1922. <gasps> My birthday! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great day for everyone, but not Remus. <laughs> this was the day that Remus, or the year... Nope, that was the day. I got it right. That was the day that Remus was indicted for over 3,000 violations of the Volstead Act. That's quite yeah. a lot. On May 16th, 1922, the jury convicted him on all counts after just two hours of deliberation. And Remus was sentenced to two years in the Atlanta Federal Penitentiary. That very evening, 125 cases of Remus's bourbon found in crates marked potatoes were seized in Toledo, Ohio. While he was in prison, he befriended another inmate and eventually confided in him that his wife now had control over his fortune. The inmate was actually an undercover prohibition agent named Franklin Dodge, who was placed there to gather exactly this kind of information. Sneaky. Luckily for Remus, though, this guy sucked. And instead of turning in that information, Dodge thought, that's a pretty rich, rich woman that's alone. I'm going to go have an affair. So he immediately went to have an affair with Remus's wife, Imogene. Oh, my God. God, and it was that easy? Mm -hmm. Together, Dodge and Imogene liquidated Remus's assets, hid as much money as possible, and even sold Remus's Fleischmann distillery. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Holmes only gave Remus $100 of his multi-million dollar estate. Then they attempted to have Remus deported, and when that didn't work, the couple hired a hitman for $15,000. The hitman... Fearing that he would be double-crossed by the money-grubbing couple, told Remus about the murder plot instead. <laughs> Good. <laughs> On November 2nd, 1925, after fighting his conviction for a year and not succeeding in appealing it, Remus was released from federal prison after serving his full sentence. Oh, my God. Only a year? Oh, two years was his full sentence. Oh, but okay. he was fighting it for a okay, year. Okay, okay, okay. In late 1927, Holmes filed for a divorce from Remus, which he took really well. Just kidding. She cheated on him, stole all of his money, sold his assets, and tried to have him murdered. So how do you think he took it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. On October 6, 1927, while he was on the way to court to finalize the divorce, Remus had his driver chase the cab that was carrying Holmes and her daughter Ruth through Eden Park in Cincinnati before running it off the road. Then Remus jumped out of his car and fatally shot Holmes in the abdomen in front of the Springhouse gazebo and many horrified onlookers. Mm, yeah. I'm not so. saying she <laughs> deserved it. <laughs> I'm not saying that. Don't get don't get my words twisted. I'm not. I'm not saying that. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Remus is not inherently a terrible person, though. He immediately handed himself over to the police, and the following trial made national headlines for a whole month. Yeah, it probably doesn't look good that he, like, literally just got out of prison. It doesn't look great from a modern standpoint, but he is a national hero to the people of America. He's a he's known all over the country. It's true. There's a cocktail. And, him, so. and if you'll remember, he was previously a lawyer. So. Oh, my God. He, he did not Ted Bundy this thing. Oh, he didn't Ted Bundy it. He successfully George Remus did. <laughs> he served as his own defense with some assistance from Charles Elston because Elston had recently secured an acquittal for another murdering bootlegger. So he's pretty good at it. 
Remus's first wife and daughter stood by him, but his stepdaughter, uh, understandably, since she he murdered her mother, testified against him, claiming that he had been an abusive husband during his marriage to her mother, Imogene. Which, I mean, I don't know if that's true, but judging off of what I know about him, I would say no. But again, you know, we don't know. But Remus returned to his winning defense from all those years ago and claimed transitory insanity, emphasizing his distress at his wife's betrayal. In the courtroom, he would shift between skillful questioning of witnesses and crying in the corner. The nation felt bad for him. And this time, the jury deliberated for only 19 minutes before returning to the courtroom and announcing his acquittal. Acquittal. Wow. <laughs> yeah. The courtroom erupted in celebration. Again, this is a man on trial for murder who admitted to murder and got acquitted and was celebrated That's by crazy. the crowds. Yeah. The state of Ohio then did commit Remus to an insane asylum since the jury had agreed that he was insane. But Remus was freed after only seven months. Yes, Remus. <laughs> after that exciting life he had, Remus moved to Covington, Kentucky, which is right across the Ohio River from Cincinnati. And there he would live out the next 20 years of his life without incident. He married for the third and last time to his longtime secretary, Blanche Watson. Blanche. Remus ran a small contracting firm called Washington Contracting until August 1950 when a stroke forced him into retirement. For the next two years, he lived in a boarding house in Covington under the care of a nurse. Until January 20th, 1952 when George Remus, the king of bootleggers, died at the age of 73. R.I.P. He's never truly forgotten, though. In 1924, F. Scott Fitzgerald published The Great Gatsby, and many believe that the lavishly rich main character, Jay Gatsby, was inspired by none other than George <gasps> Remus, who had actually met with Fitzgerald a number of times at the Seal Batch Hotel in Louisville, Kentucky. Oh my gosh. And as you That's already crazy. know... There's a bourbon named after him, George Remus Bourbon, which is one of the main sources I use for this case. Their website actually gives you a timeline of the legend that is George Remus. That's so cool. It's crafted at a distillery in Indiana and isn't available anywhere near me, which I already griped about. But they claim to craft, quote, a truly original bourbon, compliments of a truly original bootlegger, which I think is just a perfect tagline for him. Yeah. We'll include the link for their website in our show notes and in the sources listed on our blog. And as I said, Oversimplified can tell you a lot more about Prohibition than I can. So you can head over to YouTube and check out Oversimplified's channel, which we'll also link below because I used it as a source for this episode. Sweet. You can also talk to us about it on Facebook in our Dead Drunk Discussions page and on our other page. Dead Drunk, a true crime podcast. Share pictures of this drink if you make it. I really want you guys to share them with us. Yes. Drink with us. You can share them with us on tonight. Instagram at Dead Drunk Crime. And you can tweet at us. I don't know if Twitter's turning into an obsolete platform. I wish. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you can tweet us at Dead Drunk Crime. And check out this. You can read this case in full and check out all of the sources I use. And a couple chasers because I have two and I don't know which one you're going to hear in a second. But you can check them both out on our website at deaddrunkpodcast.com. 
And don't forget, if you want to make any of your drinks in a cool dead drunk mason jar, you can get those on our Spreadshirt shop, which will be linked in the show notes and on our blog post on our website. Yes. And honestly, if you want our logo on anything else, just message me and I'll do it. Yeah. Tierney makes really great stuff. For my birthday, I got David's lightning bolt sweater from (laughs) Schitt's Creek. I'm really excited about it. I wore it. I think I wore it for the next two days. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) It's also super soft. I love it so much. And uh, we are still unlocking Israel Keys on our Patreon. I think we have two more episodes to go before we've unlocked every single padlock he's got out there. And And I I feel good about I feel good about what we've done. I feel like the FBI needs to call us. FBI, if you're listening, which um, you should be, we're not going to call you. You need assuming. to call us because we are yeah, to have be your, chased. Have your people call our people, and because <laughs> I know you're listening, <laughs> and we'll solve eleven murders for you. Okay. As <laughs> if you're not listening to our podcast, I'm sure the FBI agent in my phone can pass along the message. <laughs> so, as I said, I got a couple chasers. I do have a quiz about prohibition that we could do or i could tell you about this lady named carrie a nation who was pretty who was pretty big around prohibition time like in a carrie in an odd kind of way carrie a nation that sounds like a drag name does it oh my god it sounds like carrie a nation oh my god okay who is a really good you know what where can i see her perform I'm going to tell you about her anyway because I'm super excited about her. Okay, so Carrie married an alcoholic when she was 21, but because of their their living conditions were so poor, when she got pregnant, she decided to leave because it wasn't a good environment for their daughter. And then six months after they she left, that husband died from alcoholism. Mm-hmm. And four years later, she married David Nation. And although Prohibition had started in Kansas, which is where she lived, she she was still seeing people drinking all the time they still went out drinking and to her it was a really big issue she had watched someone die from alcoholism so she tried to get the attention of local and state officials but when no one listened to her she just started going to bars and saloons and smashing everything she just destroyed bars she she was arrested 30 times and nobody could make any charges stick. So she was just let go because destroying the property, it, it wasn't like, I don't know. It wasn't illegal for her to do this. So so she just kept on destroying all these bars in Kansas trying to get people to stop drinking. <laughs> Obviously, it didn't work, but her story is pretty interesting. Drunk History actually does a segment on her, which I highly recommend. Because it's hysterical. So, yeah. So now if you want, I can quiz you on Prohibition. All right. Sounds good. I loved that story and I love her drag name. Sweet. She really had to carry (laughs) a nation. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. One. Before Prohibition was passed, what were its supporters known as? Alcoholics? Wets? Dries or pros? I would guess dries. I'm pretty sure you're right, but we'll know for sure at the end. I did take this yesterday, but as we know, my memory is really (laughs) terrible. So I'm not going to say what's right (laughs) 
or not until the end. Number two, two big groups in support of prohibition were the Women's Christian Temperance Union and which other? The Alcohol is Evil League. <laughs> the <laughs> Yeah. The Prohibition Union. The Anti-Saloon League or American Temperance Association. I kind of want to just guess the last one because it sounds the most like a real thing. That's a good guess, but this one I actually knew off the top of my head from Drunk History. It's the Anti-Saloon League. Okay, yeah, that one sounded real, too. Um, the Alcohol is Evil one was quite <laughs> Doesn't humorous, it sound like? Though. Doesn't it sound like every villain is lemons? Like, yeah. it sounds like <laughs> that sounds like a, um, a group that the individuals who stormed the Capitol would, like, that's like <laughs> a, the kind of name they would come up with for their group. <laughs> Like, Democrats are evil. I see that. I could see that. (laughs) Number three. Which state never enforced prohibition? New Hampshire, Oregon, Maryland, or Ohio? Uh, I could help you out a bit by telling you we know Ohio enforced it because Remus was arrested. (laughs) Right. Um, I'm going to go with Maryland because go Ravens. I'm actually pretty sure you're right. So, (laughs) number four, prohibition was enforced by prohibition agents and commissioners. They were poorly paid and there was only one agent per how many square miles? 300,000 square miles, 5,000, 100,000, or 200,000? Whatever the biggest one is. Okay. That's 300,000. All right. Number five. The agents seized a lot of spirits during Prohibition. In 1921, the figure was 414,000 gallons. How many gallons were seized eight years later in 1929? 11,860,000, 271,000, 1,742,000, or 6,394,000? My guess is (laughs) 525,600. Um, Unfortunately, there's no write-in option well, here. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with the, the 600 one. The 6 million? Yeah, sure. Okay, cool. Six. Gangsters such as Al Capone and Bugsy Moran had large gangs and were effective at smuggling in alcohol across every border and ocean. As a result, they made massive profits. What is estimated to be the money earned from selling illegal alcohol? $5 billion a year? $1 billion a year, $2 billion a year, or $10 billion a year? I think $10 billion sounds like the right number. It's definitely the biggest. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I don't know anything about these numbers. I'm just like, what's the biggest one? That one. Well, I think I think if Remus was making somewhere around $6 million a year, these guys have way bigger operations than George Remus, so they easily could have been making billions of dollars. I don't know if it's $10 billion, but they could... They were probably making billions. Yeah. <clears throat> Which popular television cartoon made an episode depicting Prohibition? American Dad, Family Guy, The Simpsons, or Futurama? Uh, the Simpsons. Okay. Am I wrong? Um, I, I can't feel, I remember. I think The Simpsons do have a Prohibition episode. I'm Where sure they have to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do. They have to close down Moe's, and then he makes it look like a pet store, and like it like flips. 
Oh, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Okay, then yeah. I couldn't remember because Family Guy does something different, like similar to Prohibition, where the drinking age is raised, but it's not the same. Oh yeah, the the, the police <laughs> come in, and there's like all these people standing in the middle of a pet store <laughs> with like beers behind their back, and they're like, <laughs> "What is going on here?" And like, whoever the um. Uh, who's the guy that like is like the regular at Moe's and he's like always sitting at the the bar? I don't know what his um, name is, but he like gets oh like the fat guy, right? Yeah, and he like gets yeah. stuck <laughs> in the bar when it like <laughs> anyway, it's funny. Okay, number eight, the act which introduced prohibition was known as the Volstead Act. True or false? True. Mm-hmm. I learned that today. <laughs> Yeah, th- it was a. It was also mentioned before in the quiz. I'm pretty sure. So like, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. Or maybe I'm wrong. Anyway, you learned that today. <laughs> Knowledge is power. <laughs> Number nine. <laughs> what period following the Wall Street crash was a major cause for the repeal of prohibition in order to create new jobs and wealth? The Great Depression, droughts in the Midwest Dust Bowl. It's the Second World War or the 1932 election campaign. The Great Depression. Yep. <laughs> I think create new jobs and wealth was a huge giveaway. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Our last question. Eventually, prohibition became so unpopular that it had to be repealed. When did alcohol become legal once more? December 1932, December 1933, January 1934, or July 1933? Um, the last one. All right. Let's see how you did. All right. You got the first one right. It's the dries. Anybody that supported prohibition was the dries. Number two, two big groups in support of prohibition were the Women's Christian Temperance Union and the Anti-Saloon League. Right, right, right. And you were right. Maryland felt the prohibition was an infringement of its state's rights to control alcohol within its borders. Love that. So they never enforced it. Good. (laughs) Number four, prohibition was enforced by prohibition agents. And there was only one agent per every, we said 300,000 because it was the biggest. It was 200,000 square miles. Oh, so we were close. Yeah, pretty close. Only 100,000 off. (laughs) But that was... One, that's 200,000 square miles in between one federal agent and another federal agent. Like, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I don't know how anybody expected them to do their job. Yeah, no. So in 1921, the figure was 414,000 gallons of alcohol that had been seized. In 1929, it was not 6,000,000, but 11,860,000 gallons that was seized. I knew I should have gone with the biggest one. (laughs) And the gangsters like Al Capone and Bugsy Moran, we were actually wrong on that. They would make two billion a year, which is still a lot lot for that time period. Yeah, I would like to make two billion dollars a year. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Which popular television cartoon? You're right. It's The Simpsons. Yes, Adam will be so proud of me for getting that one. (laughs) We know the Volstead Act was the act that introduced prohibition. And what period following the Wall Street crash? Obviously, the Great Depression. Prohibition came to an end, unfortunately, not in July, but in December of 1933. Okay, well, I have the year. After after Roosevelt beat Hoover, he got the 18th Amendment to the Constitution repealed as soon as possible. That's awesome. <laughs> yep. So we got five out of ten. 
75 is not too bad. It's Honestly, passing. that's way better than I thought I would do. Yeah. So, if nothing else, you learned something today. Yeah. And if you already knew stuff about Prohibition, then you learned that George Remus was the king of bootleggers. Yeah. And if you guys liked um, learning about bootleggers and stuff, I know we have a request um, to do Jack Legs Diamond at some point, who was local to the Albany area. So, let us know if you want to hear more Prohibition um, content, and we can make that happen. We can definitely make that happen. I love going into historical cases, so we might honestly be doing that for a while, We're not guys. true it's crime <laughs> anymore. We are just history. Next, we are going <laughs> to do um, women's suffrage. So <laughs> <laughs> Which I know nothing about, so... <laughs> No, like I'm lying. I know like what you learn in school and that's I, it. But I like, know that some people think that women's suffrage means that women are suffering. Oh, which well, is that's super incorrect. <laughs> that is not correct. No, that's still ongoing, yeah. though. <laughs> 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 women's suffrage was a movement back in the day. Women's suffering <laughs> has not stopped. And so on that note, best wishes. Warmest regards. <laughs>